T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Hit and Run, Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon. Jake Lamb to right field. This will bring home two. And the Sox are on the comeback trail and storming down at 4-3. Nobody out, sixth inning. And again, the Tigers run into landmines when the bullpen gets called upon. Hey, look, it's, okay. not a bad, it's not a bad idea because if you do get the bunt down to the left side, then Jake Lamb's going to wind up at third base because it was going to be Candelario going to have to field it. How often do you think Zach Collins asked to bunt in his career? Why are we bunting? If he bunts him over, you got Anderson and, and, and Madrigal. I think that's the play. It's time for Hit and Run with your host, Matt Spiegel. I still don't sing along when I'm not in the studio, but man, it still feels good to hear. Good morning, everybody, on an absolutely glorious, gonna be 90 Chicago Sunday with two first place teams in our two team town, one hanging by a thread. After losing the first three of their test in the West, the Cubs find themselves tied with the Milwaukee Brewers for first place. In the National League Central. Uh, Look out for the Brewers, who have won eight of their last ten. Won three in a row. Those big, big arms keep delivering. Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and the like. And if they could ever learn to hit with consistency, fear the Brewers. But they still have a run differential of minus six. They're still in the negatives. The Cubs with the only positive run differential in the division I still believe the Cardinals and the Cubs are the two best teams, but it's been an interesting uh, week or so since I said that. The Cardinals are dealing with injuries on their pitching staff, and the Brewers have won a few in a row, and the Cubs go out west for this massive June stretch of very difficult teams, and so far, not so good. We will talk about it, that's for sure. The White Sox lose one yesterday, but maintain a three-game lead in the American League Central. Um, It was a little bigger yesterday before that, but now it's three, and that's okay. The Indians are the second-place team. The Twins remain 12 games under five hundred, even after a win yesterday. They've got like 10 guys on the injured list, but so do most teams, right? Are the Twins dead in your mind still at 12 games back with three teams in between them and the White Sox? Yeah, probably. 
But uh, it's shaping up for a very, very fun journey. And he's going to be dead. Uh-huh. A dramatic summer in our two-team town with lots of intrigue. Jed Hoyer, the Cubs boss, was on Inside the Clubhouse yesterday. I want to play you a couple of cuts from that in case you missed it a little bit later on in the hour. Um, want to talk about what has changed for the Cubs and what might continue to change with the advent of 100% capacity on the 11th of June. The 11th of June, quick, let me do some math. That's Friday. The Cardinals will be in town for 40,000 plus at Wrigley Field. Good luck, everybody. Let's remember not to follow the lead of our NBA fan brethren um, and do anything stupid, throw anything strange, etc. No spitting. Let's all behave ourselves. Good luck, everybody. I think me and Danny Parkins are going to go to that one um, and then do the show, the, the post, post-game show that we usually do, hopefully from Wrigley Field. But got to get a feel for what that's going to be like. And then the White Sox. Do we know what date? What date are the White Sox, Sean Anderson, going to go to 100%? I want to say June 24th, but let me double check. I thought, I thought I saw 24th or 25th as well. I know the 25th is when the Giants will be doing it. If you've been watching these games on the West Coast with the Cubs and the Giants, it just feels so dead out there. It's so, it's so weird. After even just feeling and seeing 24,000 plus or 20,000 plus or whatever at our two ballparks here to watch road games when there's still like 10, five in attendance is like, whew, where's that energy going to come from? Not from the stands. Looks like the 25th. 25th. That's what I thought. Okay. So 25th of June for the White Sox. Um, and so what a summer it's going to be. Just absolutely glorious. At 10 o'clock, Travis Sawchick, who's uh, just terrific, has written several wonderful books about baseball, writes for thescore.com. That's not us, but it's uh, someplace else. And he writes tremendous stuff. Um, I'm, I'm reading his piece on the sticky stuff because we, we got to talk about it, whether it's bullfrog sunscreen or firm grip or spider tack. What's fun is that Travis Sawchick um, took a couple of minor league pitchers to a place like a poor man's driveline baseball outside of Pittsburgh, and they experimented with all this stuff. So uh, we can talk to him about experientially what it feels like, as well as, of course, what the league is going to do. So we'll talk to Travis at 10 o'clock. Sarah Langs is an absolute delight on Twitter, S. Langs on Sports. She's on MLB Network. You can read her on MLB.com. Statistical anomalies, um, fun baseball factoids, loves the game, loves the, 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 the history of the game and when the history and the present meet. So we'll talk to her at 11 o'clock and hoping to have a conversation with one of the better stories on the Cubs and certainly one of the better stories in the bullpen. Tommy Nance have talked about him a little bit over recent weeks and hoping to get a chance to talk to him directly. I want to know what he did. I want to know what he did during quarantine. That gave him 97 with movement on the uh, on the fastball. I kind of have a theory now. (laughs) But we'll ask him. We'll see. Man, it just gets dangerous. When you start talking about sticky stuff and you start talking about police during the year, it gets very, very dangerous. And it, it needs to feel personal to you because your favorite team has a bunch of guys who are doing this. A lot of guys who are doing this. 
So how do you feel about baseball cracking down on this in the middle of the year? Are you ready? You ready for that? Because, you know, I, I mean, certain people who have tremendous spin on their four-seam fastball, there's just, there's just very few ways to do it. The only real ways to do it are to add velocity and to add sticky stuff. So, I mean, it, it, if, you, if you want the game cleaned up, I want the game cleaned up too. I just, I want it, whew, I want it done better and firmer and cleaner in an offseason. Bargained, discussed, written up, posted, and then adhered to like the ball two fingers that are sticky. But in the meantime, your phone calls are always welcome at 312-644-6767. That is how you get on in to the uh, Scores listener line. You can also text via that same line, and I see your texts as they come in. And I promise you I will not let them derail my baseball conversation. Um, but here we are. Let's talk about these teams for a minute. Let's talk about the the Cubs losing their first three. The first two games were really important because Kevin Gossman loomed last night. And now Johnny Cueto looms this afternoon. Cueto and Kyle Hendricks in a matchup of two pitchers who both took part in that 2016 series. That four-game series that set the table for the NLCS against the Dodgers and eventually the World Series Against the Indians, very memorable series. Maybe you remember that Johnny Cueto went in game one, was brilliant. The Cubs won on a Javi Baez solo homer. But if the Cubs don't make that comeback in game four, leading to a Hector Rondon win and Aroldis Chapman getting his third save of a four-game series, if the Cubs don't make that comeback against the Giants, Johnny Cueto would have loomed again for game five and would have been scary and daunting. Kyle Hendricks pitched well in game two of that series. The Cubs win, did not get the win. It was Travis Wood in relief. Hendricks against Jeff Samarja. But anyway, it's Hendricks against Cueto today to wrap up four in San Francisco before the Cubs go down to San Diego. Kevin Gossman is filthy. uh, Let me tell you what I always think of when I think of Kevin Gossman. I think of a moment at Joe's... No, it wasn't Joe's Stone Crab. Where, where was it? It was on Oak Street, where the old Esquire movie theater is. And there was a series of Cubs luncheons there in 2015, 2016, and a couple in 2017. And the Midday Show, which was me and Jason Goff at the time, we did a couple of luncheons there with some Cubs players. And one time we did a luncheon there. What's the, what's the place I'm, I'm thinking of, Sean? Do you know? It's the Steakhouse on Oak Street. I think it's still there. It's a national chain. It's a very good one. I have no clue. Oh, come on, man. Help a brother out. Use the Google You think machine. I have Steakhouse money? I'm trying to. Our computers are slow. Oh, my God. Steakhouse, Oak Street. Chicago Chop? No. Gibson's? No. Those are... No, it's... Uh, hmm. Uh, not De Castro's, not Delmonico's. It's just something. I don't know. That's really not the point. It's just, it's a fact I'd like to include. <sighs> um, here's the thing. I was doing one of those luncheons and Jed Hoyer and Theo Epstein were the guests. And during the break, I was trying to pick the mind of Theo Epstein, as I always did. And no, not Ruth Chris. These, see, these are all... These 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 are in Chicago institutions. Of so the Ruth Chris is a is a chain now as well. Mm, 
not Mastro's. That's the one on LaSalle. Damn it. Sometime it'll come to me. This is what people tune in for to hit and run on a Sunday morning is to hear me uh, mentally cycle through steakhouses, Chicago steakhouses. See, some of you were there, I'm sure, for those Cubs luncheons. They were terrific. Del Frisco's. Thank you very much. Outstanding. <laughs> Del Frisco's. Anyway, okay, here we are. That was on the personal text line right there. See? So people, people are always listening. Anyway, there's a moment there where I'm talking to Theo Epstein at the break, and the biggest news in Cubs land at the time was the emergence of this guy, Jake Arietta. Oh, my God, was he good. It's 2015 was the luncheon at Del Frisco's. And Jake Arietta was so good. I was like, where did this come from? Not DeCenzo's Steakhouse, but thank you for that one. From the A15. <laughs> and I'm like, man, this Jake Arietta, we talk about it. And Baltimore clearly had no idea what to do with Jake Arietta, and the Cubs did. And I remember turning to Theo Epstein and saying, So um, how about how about that other guy on Baltimore? Kevin Gossman. Think you can get him? And Theo laughed. It's like, oh, everybody wants that guy. Everybody wants that guy. Because the Orioles didn't know what the hell they were doing for a while. There was a while there where the Baltimore Orioles were the sucker at the pitching table. And Kevin Gossman, a very high draft pick, I believe the first pitcher taken in his particular draft, number four overall, I want to say. Orioles didn't know what they were doing. He bounces around a little bit, figures something out, I think in Philly. Then he's in Cincinnati, figured something out a little bit more. Now he's in San Francisco, and now he's an absolute beast. Okay? Uh, not Old Country Buffet. Thank you very much for that suggestion from the 815. No, 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 no. Del Frisco's. We got it sorted out. Appreciate Apparently, uh, Del Frisco's is closed down, uh, by the way. Uh, okay. So it's not open lo- any longer. Uh, okay. Gosman was the first pitcher uh, in the 2012 draft, and he went to Atlanta, not Philadelphia. Atlanta. Thank you. So And, and some decent moments in Atlanta. Uh, a couple and some decent moments in Cincinnati, but now he's one of the best pitchers in all of baseball pitcher of the month for May and a terrific pitcher again last night gave up two runs, but it was on two hits and only one of them was earned. It was the Patrick wisdom home run after Anthony Rizzo had reached on an error through 12 appearances. Kevin Gossman has more than 90 strikeouts and he's got an ERA under 1.30. Okay. Uh, here is the complete list of pitchers who've done this in MLB history. Justin Verlander in 2018, Pedro Martinez in 2000, in the year 2000, one of the great pitching years of all time, Vita Blue, friend of the show, in 1971, and Kevin Gossman this year. That's it. If you watched that guy, if you're watching that game, you saw this pitch that kept disappearing. He would throw it and it would go straight and then it would just fall Uh, all the way pretty much to the dirt that is his split fingered fastball it drops straight down maybe you thought it was a slider a lot of people have sliders that go in that same sort of trajectory um as uh tommy nance does or trevor bauer does maybe you thought it was a changeup. zach davies changeup will drop off like that a little bit uh lucas giolito throws in a harder overhand change that drops off a little bit Kevin Gossman, that pitch is his split-fingered fastball. It's at about 87, could sometimes at 86 or 84, but usually around 87. It is deadly. It looks like a fastball. It spins like a fastball, and then the bottom drops off. This is Bruce Suter stuff. It's like Mike Scott of the Astros, okay? It's like all those Giants teams where the pitchers were coached by Roger Craig. Remember all those? This is Kevin Gossman. He's always had that pitch. Now he throws it almost 40% of the time. 
Because finally he got somewhere where they were like, hey, you know what? You're really good at that. You should do that more. You know what you should pair it with is your four-seam fastball that you throw at like 96, 97 that looks a lot like it. Why don't you put those two things together? And that's pretty much all he does. That's pretty much it. Every once in a while, he'll mix in a breaking pitch, something like that. But when you've got two pitches that look like that, that that's these days, that is enough. Because it's deadly. So why not? So that's why everybody wanted Kevin Gossman, because the Orioles didn't know what the hell they were doing. And another team was like, hey, you're good at this. Let's do this. Okay, good. Thanks a lot. Good talk. Now, please go out there and be a Cy Young contender and be in line to uh, pitch in the All-Star Game in Colorado in July. I'm, I'm really excited the All-Star Game is back. So anyway, Kevin Gossman was looming. This is why those first couple of games were so big for the Cubs and they could not get them done. After Gossman left last night, boy, I, I hope you're awake to see a crazy ninth inning where Maurizio Dubon got all up in his head. The second baseman at the time for the Giants committed an error on a transfer of a ground ball from the glove to his hand, allowing a runner to be on base. Then there is a double play ball. Dubon makes the exact same mistake on the pivot, the transfer. When mentality becomes the story, baseball gets very relatable. We've all had things that we do wrong And then we know we need to not do it again, uh, but we do it again because we can't stop thinking about it. So Dubon makes the same mistake. And then Longoria and Crawford, two brilliant veterans, Evan Longoria and Brandon Crawford, are playing on the left side and they collide on a ball. They collide on a ground ball. Such a weird play. Because those guys know what they're doing. Crawford, specifically, is one of my favorite shortstops to watch in all of the game. He's absolutely incredible. Can do everything. Very, very smart. And, oh, by the way, he's a terrific left-handed hitter. Very, very good in big situations. Driving in runs at an insane rate of late. But the weirdness of that play last night, how can two veterans hit each other? Is it the anxiety created by Dubon that now they know they have to make sure to make a play because Dubon might screw it up? No, it's the weirdness of the shift. It's Longoria is the only infielder on the left side there. And that's his ground ball to get. But Crawford is so good, he's able to adjust and get there. And as a shortstop, he thinks, I go for everything. That's my ball. So they collide and go down. Longoria has to leave the game with concussion fears. And all of a sudden, the Cubs are in business, very much with a chance to get out of there with a tie and maybe head towards a win. But they can't do it. They can't close down the rally. They get one but not two, lose four to three. And so it goes. But a fascinating late inning. I'm glad that we as a fan base, and perhaps you as a fan base, Got to see Tyler Rogers, the submarine pitcher. He's so funky, so weird. He throws a curveball that starts at the ground and actually rises in the strike zone. And it's just a very different look. Sean, did you get a look at him at all uh, last night in that ninth inning? Or if you have not seen Tyler Rogers, take a look and you get a chance. Because it's been fascinating to me. It combats the launch angle guys because, of course, they're, they're swinging from down towards the top and they're committed to that. And Tyler Rogers' curveball rises. 
I saw him on Saturday, and I was watching uh, Alabama softball. Their pitcher ended up throwing a perfect game the first one since 2001 in the uh, College Mo- World Series. That would be Montana Fouts. Yeah. Tw- 21 straight outs on her 21st birthday. Joe it's Montana, tough. Dan Fouts, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, but it, it was pretty much similar. Like, similar like release. Ball. Yeah, yes. exactly. They're releasing it at the same exact point. It was fascinating. Correct. That's absolutely true. So those are, those are t- things to think about as you watch Tyler Rogers. It's absolutely right. Um, it's a similar kind of thing. And what's interesting to me is that the Cubs hitters who are so notoriously attacked with high fastballs and then breaking balls or splitters or change-ups that drop down from that same tunnel, this is a pitch that's rising up. Javier Baez seemed very in control of the strike zone against Tyler Rogers. <laughs> he struggles with high to low. We know he struggles with a pitch that's a slider and drops off and goes away. But low to high? Eh. He took a pitch for a ball very comfortably, then hit one hard, threw for a single. It's very, very interesting to see the effect. So I'm glad we got a look at him uh, and, you know, ho- hopefully don't get a look at him again today as Hendricks and the Cubs really could use a win to get out of there, get out of San Francisco without getting swept. Winning has changed the Cubs' in-season reality, and now the opening of the city and 100% capacity has changed the Cubs' in-season reality. We're going to talk about that later on, and you'll hear Jed Hoyer talk about it. But when we come back, let's get to the schematic disadvantage that the White Sox manager put his team in yesterday in the sixth inning. We'll talk about that next. It is hit and run. Matt Spiegel in on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Three balls and two strikes. My only counter to the bunt is you've got a guy who's absolutely on the ropes. Why would you give him an out? It is a noble question. Thank you. Nobility <laughs> is what we go for. Three and two. Zach takes ball four. He's on. Two on. Nobody out. That is the sixth inning yesterday. It's the sixth inning when the White Sox are finally mounting a charge against the Detroit Tigers. The Tigers starter was really, really good. Uh, Bumpy at the beginning was Tariq Skubal. Gave up a couple of hits and a run right away. But then he settles in, and over five innings, he walks three guys, but he strikes out 11. Fortunately, he throws a lot of pitches, so here comes the bullpen. And the bullpen is Derek Holland. And you might remember Derek Holland from 
the White Sox or from the Rangers or from the Giants or from the scrap heap where he has spent a lot of time. Uh, And maybe you remember that the White Sox usually hit him pretty hard and have a couple of times this year, as a matter of fact. And maybe you remember the beginning of the sixth inning when there was uh, what, what came what came. Jake Lamb had the double. Collins had the walk after the double. But before the Lamb, before the Lamb double, uh, let's let's take you to the sixth inning. Yasmani Grandal singles off of Derek Holland. Andrew Vaughn doubles off of Derek Holland. Jake Lamb doubles a lefty off of Derek Holland. It's three in a row who have hit the hell out of the ball against Derek Holland. There is nobody out. There's a right-hander, Funkhauser. And um, R.I.P. as always to the great Bob Einstein. R.I.P. as always. Well, I mean, since he died, especially R.I.P. Maybe not always. But so anyway, three guys have hit it hard and Funkhauser's out in the bullpen. But no, Derek Holland is going to be left out there to pitch to Zach Collins. Zach Collins is asked to bunt and looks horrible doing it. And he walks. And then you heard Jason Minetti right there um, reacting to it reacting to the bunt attempt. Okay, so a, a failed bunt attempt still results in a walk because Derek Holland is not very good right now at pitching. First and second, nobody out. The batter is Danny Mendick. And Tony Larusa asks for a bunt. At this point, the White Sox have managed to pull closer in this game. The two-run double makes it 4-3. to three. You've got a pitcher absolutely on the ropes who can't stop giving up hard contact. And Danny Mendick is asked to bunt. He does a terrible job bunting. He bunts to the first baseman, the hard-charging Jonathan Scope, who's able to throw to third. And Jamer Candelario standing on the bag because he doesn't have to come in to field the bunt. They're able to get Jake Lamb out for a force out. So, yeah, you give up an out, which was the idea with the bunt, but you give up the, the out at the front of the base runners. So you're in exactly the same situation, except you already have an out. So it's a much worse situation. There's math out there to tell you that this is not the thing to do anymore. It used to be very common practice in all of MLB that this is just what you do. Play for a tie. It's the sixth inning. Got a few more innings to go. Could tie it later on a home run, could tie it later on any number of things. Why not play for a bigger inning when you've got a pitcher who is completely on the ropes? But Mendick bunts into a force out, and perhaps you know what happens after that. Tim Anderson grounded out into a force out at third base again. And then Nick Madrigal grounded out, and you're done. And the White Sox did not get a chance anywhere near as good as that the rest of the way. And the manager contributed to the issue. So here is, uh, here's the aftermath. I want you to first hear it in case you were out and about on an absolutely gorgeous Chicago Saturday. Here's the aftermath of the Mendick bunt um, that leads into an eventual pitching change by A.J. Hinch. Here's the bunt to first base. Throw goes to first. Out. You've got four straight base runners. To me, it doesn't make sense to give the out, no matter where it comes on the base path. Well, there's another factor also. If you call a bunt, you've got to bunt it to third base. Bunting it to first with a charging first baseman and a second baseman's arm, which Scope has, that's not a good plan. 
So even though you laid down the bunt, you bunted to the wrong guy. You can argue, I mean, look, you can argue the bunt, yes, bunt, no bunt, but. Uh, I, and now they want to see. Well, AJ went out there, had a word with Greg Gibson, and he goes out now to bring in Funkhausen. Derek Holland had faced eight Sox hitters all year. Every one of them had reached. One out, two on. Funkhauser's coming in after this. Did you hear that? Eight White Sox hitters he'd faced, and every one of them had reached base. And yet the decision is to give him an out, to hand him an out. Tony La Russa was asked about this after the game. And listen to... James Feagan of The Athletic asked a pretty even-handed but very thorough question about that. And there's also another question about a hit-and-run, which came in the next inning, which did not work out as well. Here's Feagan uh, and Tony. Sixth inning, you guys are rallying off uh, Holland. Uh, you, you went with uh, trying to – Danny Mendick tried to get a, a, a bunt down. Um, what was kind of the goal there? And, um, you know, with, with the momentum you had on Holland, did you uh, consider kind of – swinging away given the, the success you guys are having what was the score at the time four to uh, three four three yeah yeah there's a time on second base and they lead all and the go ahead run it first and if he bunts them over you got anderson and 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 madrigal i mean i think that's the play anything else for tony one of their hands up at the moment uh did you know what happened in the uh, seventh as far as uh Yuan was running uh, when the, the, the take and strike three, it seemed like, um, I don't know if he was stealing or if he didn't anticipate a throw there. No, it's three and two, and we started the runner. He fouled a couple balls off, and then he took a pitch that, you know, he thought was a ball and, and you know, and got through him out. So, uh, you know, the bunt is not an aggressive play, and it didn't, it didn't work. That was an aggressive play. It didn't work. So make of it whatever you want to. It's one good thing about watching the game. You know what my strategy was. And uh, I felt good about sending him. And uh, yes, it has been tough all day long. I haven't seen a pitch, so I don't know. And I felt really good about butting him over. So that's Yaz had been good. He's talking about the hit and run. Um, that doesn't work out. So a failure of aggressiveness, a failure of non-aggressiveness. Baseball is a tough game. Sometimes you do things and they work. Sometimes you don't. Here's the issue, though, for me. I've talked about managerial errors a lot this year. There, and I've kind of got a, a working catalog that I'm working on. There are procedural errors, like knowing the rules. You know, uh, We've seen some of those. There are personal errors, like... Knowing your players, communicating with your players, um, a, a culture clash that we have sometimes seen because, you know, y y you have not established certain relationships and perhaps respect where guys are coming from. There's th those kind of errors. Then there's the worst to me, which are philosophical errors. When a game has changed, the bullpen usage, not using your closer on the road in a tie game. That is a growing and evolving strategy around the game, and it needs to be adjusted. And it is being adjusted by some organizations that are aggressive at such things. And there's bunting. The philosophy of bunting and of giving up and out. When you hear Tony there, he talks with, as if he's kind of offended that the philosophy is even being questioned. That that's the play. What was the score at the time? Yeah. Yeah. 4-3. 4-3, uh, yeah. 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 
there's a time on second base and they lead off and they go ahead and run it first. Yes. And if he bunts them over, you got Anderson and, and, and Madrigal. I mean, I think that's the play. Anything else for Tony? Uh, hands up at the moment. So it, it's not the play around baseball anymore. It's just not for a few reasons. One is, admittedly, that guys don't know how to bunt. They're not good at it. It's a terrible bunt by Danny Mendick. Is that Tony's fault? Partially, yes. You're the manager. Know whether guys know how to do it. If you're going to ask for it, make sure they do it exactly the right way. If you're not exactly sure that Danny Mendick knows how, knows the play, and is able to execute bunting that to the first baseman, then don't ask him to do it. Don't. Excuse me, to the third baseman. You know what I mean? If you don't know for sure that he knows how to do it, don't ask him to do it. Don't. So that is partially on Tony. The other thing is this. It is changing around the game. The White Sox have 14 sacrifice bunts this year. Successful ones. 14 successful sacrifice bunts. The four best teams in the American League East, Toronto, Boston, the Yankees, the Blue Jays. Those four teams have combined to have 15 successful sacrifice bunts. Just one more than the White Sox 14. Tony is still strategizing at times for a game that does not exist anymore. It just doesn't. Things have changed. The difficulty of getting singles has changed. Positioning is so much smarter out there so that when Tim Anderson and Madrigal hit ground balls hard, they're still outs. That's why you don't just remove a chance for Danny Mendick to do something with the bat. Afraid of the double play? Danny Mendick hasn't hit into a single double play this year. He's got decent speed. Let him swing as a right-handed hitter against Derek Holland, who hasn't gotten a single member of the White Sox out. Up until you gave him an out. Derek yesterday. Holland in 2021 has an batting, uh, an OP, an on-base percentage against of 392 and a slugging percentage of 538 against for an OPS of 930. I Let, mean, like, this is, this is like league-leading, like, splits against him. This is a guy you should destroy, and your team was destroying him. And you tried to give away an out with Zach Collins. It didn't work, and he saved you with a walk. Then you gave away an out with Danny Mendick, and it wasn't executed well. So it essentially helped kill a rally before it could truly begin. Stop managing that game. It doesn't exist anymore. I just told you the best four teams in the American League East have combined for 15 successful sacrifice bounce. The White Sox have done it 14 times. Tony La Russa has done a lot of good things this year. I, I appreciate the handling of Andrew Vaughn. Uh, I appreciate the trust in Billy Hamilton that has worked out. Um, I will give him some credit for Jake Lamb, a guy who I did not think had utility on this roster, who has made some adjustments offensively, and it's good to have Jake Lamb's bat here. So it's not like Tony has been 100% negative. But understand, we rip managers when they screw up. And when they screw up based on a philosophy that's outdated, I'm really going to rip them. 
Use your closer more. Use your closer on the road in a tie game, especially with the weird extra innings rules that create more randomness and reduce their possible effectiveness and the length of the game. And stop bunting so damn much. I get it. I do. I loved the game when you were managing it like that. And I understand that Tim Anderson and Nick Madrigal are great bat control guys who maybe could drive two runs in with a single after you bunt two of them into scoring position. I get it. But that's just not the way it's done anymore. And there's math and analytics to back it up. If you're interested, you can read about it or have it shared with you. I hope it's being shared with Tony. But either way, look around. Not everything that you used to do is the right way anymore. Have some more humility. 670, the score is where you are. You want to call up and dial in, you can. We've reached a point now with the public where anytime La Russa gets bashed in this town, there's a faction of White Sox fans that say, oh, there you go, bashing total La Russa again. What about this? What about this? What about this? I just told you, there are some things that he's done very well. Also, this team is very much ready to win no matter who was there, including Rick Renteria, as they went to the playoffs with Rick Renteria. And they probably would have again this year. But we must tell the truth about things, especially when baseball sensibilities are there and can be offended as easily as mine are. It's hit and run on 670, the score. You'll hear from Jed Hoyer next about the change in the atmosphere for the Cubs season as we approach the deadline. Keep it right here on Hit and Run with me, Matt Spiegel. Two balls and a strike on Hayward. And the pitch on the way. A swing and a ground ball towards second. Fielded by Solano, throws to first, and the ball game is over. Hayward bounces out to second base. The Giants have made it three in a row over the Cubs. The final today, Giants four, Cubs three. Cubs lose their first three in San Francisco later on today. About 2.30 for pregame, 2.35 for pregame right here on 6.70 The Score. It'll be Kyle Hendricks against Johnny Cueto in the final game of that four-game set. Hendricks um, had a quality start against the Padres last time out. Over his last four starts, he's got four wins with a 2.60 ERA. Cueto was real good his last time out. Seven innings of one-run ball against the Angels. That was on Monday night. After this game, the Cubs will go down to San Diego. And that is a late-night game tomorrow, 9.10 p.m. Central for the first pitch there. Night game on Monday, night game on Tuesday, And then Wednesday is a getaway day in San Diego. So that is a 310 Central start. And that one will be against you, Darvish. So this past time when the Cubs had the Padres, they were able to avoid Blake Snell and you, Darvish. And that was good for them. This time they'll get to Nelson Lamette on Tuesday after before getting you, Darvish, on Wednesday. And I'm trying to see who they're going to get tomorrow night. All the Cubs pitchers are still um, TBD, but Ryan Weathers will go. And he was uh, roughed up by the Cubs on Tuesday. 
that was the worst start of his young big league career. So, but anyway, all before that is Cubs and Padres today. But you know what the storyline has been around these 2021 Cubs for several years. You're listening to Hit and Run, by the way. Matt Spiegel here with you on 670 The Score. Travis Sawchuk at the top of the hour on sticky stuff around MLB. Um, the storyline has been this is the final year of contract for so many of these guys. Are they going to keep them? Are they going to trade them? What are they going to do? They waited so long. Here we are now in the middle of the final season contractually for Javier Baez and Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo. And Jed Hoyer's job is hard. And everyone has kind of come around to this idea of the Cubs being like the Jordan Bulls in the last dance, pushing against management or like the team in major league pushing against the owner that wants them to lose so they can break them up. And whatever truth there is to those kind of comparisons is up to you. We know there is a unified mindset within that clubhouse as led by David Ross, as voiced by Chris Bryant and others of, yeah, let's make their jobs hard. Let's make Jed Hoyer's jobs hard. And it is going to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. Everybody would do it if it was easy. It's baseball, right? Here's Jed Hoyer yesterday on Inside the Clubhouse with our Bruce Levine and David Haw talking about, among other things, the trades that are going to be possible. Um, Earlier in the interview yesterday, Jed said that he hopes to be a buyer, which is fascinating. I mean, that's what you want to be. You want to be a team that's going for it. You want to be a buyer. The winning has, has turned things uh, on, on, on their head, turned this season on its head. So Jed would like to be a buyer. Will he be able to? Well, uh, 100% capacity on the 11th of June is a big deal, is it not? Here was Jed when asked about what goes into these conversations and potential trades that might take place between now and the July 31st deadline. I think when it comes to trades, um, there's probably some time before the league is going to start moving you know there could be some, a one-off trade here or there but you know i can i can tell you that you know as far as you know the trade market you know it, it, it's it's always slower than people think it takes time to, to get into it and you know early june you still need to you know compete with what you have and use your depth and uh, and that's what we're going to do but as we get deeper into the into the trade season yes we should have some some flexibility to make moves and um, the early opening of of things uh, certainly helps so the early opening of things certainly helps. Of course it does. Man, you can, you can sell a lot of beer and a lot of stuff around Wrigley between June 11th and the end of the season, especially if you've got a good squad or at least a decent squad and you're going for it and the feelings are good, the vibes are good. Some really interesting stuff. This is going to be a wonderful opportunity over the next couple months to think like a baseball general manager, or in Jed's case, a president of baseball operations. He was asked specifically about Baez and Rizzo and Bryant. I mean, listen, all three are iconic players for the Cubs, and deservedly so. And I think that, um, you know, so individually and as a group, I think our affection for those guys is, you know, is is incredibly real based on what they've done and based on who they are as people. If we do have those discussions, if one of the, players reaches out and wants to want to talk about it then we would certainly you know entertain those discussions but um as far as our desire um to you know to retain you know uh those players uh, obviously i think they're, they're great players that what they've done here is really special and um if there's a way to continue that relationship obviously we want to do that if there's a way to continue the relationship obviously we want to do that it's going to be fascinating how many will they keep 
how many will just simply walk away and how many, if any, will be traded. I don't think you can trade anybody. You can't be sellers if you're within four or five games of the first place mark in the National League Central. Come the deadline, I don't think you can make any deals like that. There's an argument to be made that you could still trade Craig Kimbrell and get something for him, another free agent to be. Slide Ryan Tapera over to closer. Not lose your clubhouse in the process. Still go for it. Get a little something-something for Kimbrell. But you could say that even that would not go over well with the fan base, go over well with the clubhouse as you try to go for it. Tricky, tricky stuff. Here's the, 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 um, the thing that I'm going to have to try and figure out over the next couple months, and I, and I promise you that I'll do some, some work on it. How much... Is the value of whatever prospects you could get back and trade for Chris Bryant as you trade Bryant away for one stretch run in postseason. So you don't get what you used to get in trades like that. Certainly haven't in recent years. Would you this year? I, I don't know. So let's say you got, you know, uh, a double A prospect and a triple A prospect and a lottery ticket. You got three pieces, something like that. You take those three pieces and figure out what that value is. And that's on one side of your measurement. And on the other side, you're measuring the value of a compensatory draft pick that you get when a guy leaves via free agency. So call it number 36 overall. So one draft pick, a good one, number 36 overall. And along with that, you get the revenue of games of consequence the opportunity for another postseason with said player, Chris Bryant, and that revenue, and oh, by the way, the chance to win, and that revenue, that percentage, and oh, by the way, the goodwill of a fan base that has frankly felt alienated a bit over the past couple of years and this past offseason. The goodwill of your players internally. The goodwill of your entire organization. Yeah, we're going for it. You know, so, so how do you measure that stuff on one side as you measure the value of whatever prospects you get on the other side? That's Jed's job. And it's Tom Ricketts' job if Jed comes to him and says, I don't want to do this. I don't want to sell these guys. Or I still think we should sell these guys or whatever. We've got time to talk about it and dissect it and do that math. And I promise you I'll be doing some of it on Sunday mornings right here on The Score. A little bit of White Sox news. Billy Hamilton goes on the injured list for the 10-day injured list with an oblique muscle injury. Those damn oblique muscles, man. Isn't that what got Jack Flaherty? Um, I believe it's what got uh, Mike Trout right now. It's the stupid oblique muscle. I just wish it would be more specific. That's, that's always been my problem with the oblique muscle. It's just not specific enough. Anyway, in this case, injured list for Hamilton, and then here comes Adam Engel. Here he is. Adam Engel is back. It's funny. On Friday um, on the Parkinson Spiegel show, Chris Ranji and I had a chance to talk to Steve Stone. And I said, Steve, what are we going to do when Adam Engel comes back? What are the White Sox going to do? What's the roster move? It's not obvious. I don't think it can be Hamilton. Is it Larry Garcia? Uh, You know, I don't think it should be Mendick. And he said, baseball is a way of figuring itself out, figuring these things out. Well, here you go. Here's Adam Engel as Billy Hamilton goes on the injured list. 670 the score is where you are. It is Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. I am increasingly convinced, more and more, 
that there is one specific way that we could change and fix baseball quickly. It's enormously important. It's an effective component of the plan to fix baseball. And I'm increasingly convinced that this will do a hell of a lot more than any of us had realized. We'll talk about it next with Travis Sawchick on Hit and Run. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.